Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening. I'm Liz Mitchell, and welcome to Bring It On a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 18th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. And good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, the mission of the City of Bloomington Commission on the Status of Children and Youth, or CSCY, is to promote connections in the community that empower, enhance, and nurture children and youth. This fall, CSCY sought nominations for the 2022 Swagger, and that stands for Students Who Act Generously, Grow, and Earn Respect Awards. The successful nominee shall have taken action that enhances the lives around them through generous acts, personal growth, and the promotion of respect. Nominations were accepted from educators, neighbors, friends, relatives, and clergy of students who live or attend school within the Monroe County School Corporation area. Youth nominees fell into four age group age groups, K through the, uh, third grade, four through sixth, seventh through eighth, and nine through 12. Ultimately, seven young nominees won Swagger Awards. They were selected from among 17 impressive young people, all of whom were recognized for their meaningful and generous acts. And in the ninth and through the 12th grade category, awards went to four African-American ladies, Sydney Crossley, Sabra Wagner, J.L. Davis, Saphony Franklin, and this was all for exceptional leadership and social justice activism by advocating for a racial discrimination justice policy to be included in the MCCSC Student Handbook. Joining us this evening are two of those ladies. Is that right? Two? Yes. Yes. Sydney Crossley and J- uh, Jill, Jill Davis. Sorry if I tore your name up. I apologize. Along with Isidore James Jimmy Torrey, Chair of the City of Bloomington Commission on the Status of Children and Youth. Sydney Welcome, and JL, welcome. We're so glad to have you here, and I am just extremely proud of you young ladies. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I will add, um, and by typo, this is clearly by typo, that uh, Sabra Wagner is also on with us, and uh, also again, um, Mr. Isidore Jimmy Torrey. Shall we say Isidore or shall we say Jimmy? Jimmy. Everybody knows him as Jimmy. Well, no, no, no. Maybe his professional title when he's doing uh, radio yeah. and TV television interviews is <laughs> Let's is ask Isidore. him what he'd like to be called. Uh, uh, what would you like to be called, Mr. Torrey? Uh, in this uh, in this, in this instance, let's just go with Jimmy. Um, that's what I'm known as with the uh, commission, and that's it's easier. Okay. okay. I was, I was going to say the man, but I, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say Jimmy. <laughs> And we're so glad. And Jimmy and I go back to um, we're just really like this is sort of a mini reunion of sorts. And to see all of our uh, guests as they were once younger, much younger. But now they are just 
kind of turning the city upside down. And I, I really appreciate that. But Liz, to your to your question, go ahead. And, and I know you had a, a lead off question for us. Yes. Uh, and this one is for each one of you. You just take your time. And uh, I would like to know, what does this award mean to you personally? Sydney, I'll start with you. Yeah, so this this award really means a lot. It's um, it's really nice to represent a community that I've grown up in, and I have younger siblings, so it's like I'm like a role model to them. And they told me that after I, I won the award, um, and just knowing that they look up to me, and I'm doing something in the community that will help every every student, just is really really important to me. Thank you. Yes. Saffron? Oh, it's Sabra. I don't know how to do the name thing on Zoom. So I <laughs> I just had an initial, but it's Sabra. Um, I think this award, um, it means a lot because it means that like all the work that we've done, it's like we already acknowledge that it's really meaningful, but like this award just like validates that other people are seeing that what work we're doing and that is having an impact on the community as well. Okay, thank you. Last but not least. Um, so yes, I would definitely agree with Sabra. Um, one thing that I would like to add was that, um, you know, we know that we've been doing change in the community, but um, like the award just signifies how people are like seeing it and people are recognizing it and there's actually being um, an impact it's like increasing and so I really it was really important to me because it's showing um, representation not only within like Bloomington but in Indiana and so I felt like um, this represented uh, black youth who um, fight for like the rights of BIPOC which is black indigenous people of color um, very well. Okay what brought this on and just so if there's anyone in our listening audience that doesn't know, I don't want to assume that everybody knows why you got this award and uh, what it was that you fought for. So could you explain what was going on since you're already speaking? Would you go ahead and tell us what was going on that you felt that you had to fight for yourself? Um. So um, during like 2021, I moved to Bloomington my eighth grade year and now I'm in 10th grade, but I moved here my eighth grade year and it was from Indianapolis and it was in a predominantly uh, black area. And so transitioning to a place where I don't see people like me every day was kind of like a cultural shock. And so um, I started to notice a lot of racism, like microaggressions, being called the N-word, Confederate flags, um, people reenacting the George Floyd incident, um, blackface. It's just a lot of things that were happening at that time. And at one point, you know, teachers saying the N-word, at one point I was just like, there has to be something that we as a community could do. So um, when I joined high school, um, I joined Black Culture Club, which is um, a club in Bloomington uh, South. And um, I ran for vice president. And I was like, guys, you guys, do you guys see what I'm seeing? I think we need to start a petition to um, build an anti-racist policy 
for um, High School South. At first I was like, okay, this is just gonna be for our high school, but I didn't realize that there are other people who have the same ideas like um, Sabra and Sydney. So we kind of worked together and started creating a policy uh, through YPAR with Dr. Riley and Jocelyn Rowan. And that's kind of how that started. Okay. Wow. 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 Uh, I'm taking yeah. aback. I thought we have looked at a lot of issues on bringing on, but um, see me help my maybe, head when she said blackface. Yeah, uh, maybe we've been we we've been discussing things at a certain level, Liz, and we really maybe have not brought it down to their level in in high school. Uh, and this is sort of an eye opener. But the thing that I'm most proud of is that they took some sort of adverse situations. And they use the energy that they could have used, um, perhaps just lashing back or whatever, but they channeled their energies into something positive and um, and educational. Um, let, let me let me let me uh, direct a question to um, to Jimmy Tory. Jimmy, as uh, the chair of Swagger, were when you read the pre when you read the submissions, were you? also taken aback by this or was this sort of new as far as what you've read and, and what, what was your reaction? Um, I think, well, first let me say that I, you say chair, I'm actually a co-chair. I sit on the commission um, as co-chair. Okay. Um, but uh, to answer your question, I, I was taken aback. Um, I'd heard this issue through uh, NWC, uh, NWCP meetings and um, was just kind of would even say appalled that that this is going on in the schools where our young people are going to learn to to become better people to you know be our, be the leaders and uh, that the student population has to go through such go through this um, couldn't make it easier but and to see that this group of young ladies were trying to make it better is just really um, amazing and um, I forget who said it but uh, their their siblings look at them as a role model. Um, I want to say that you all are role models to even me to to the adults. Um, but yeah, it, it it's uh, it's amazing that in 2022 that this is still an issue. Hmm. That uh, the stuff that I read about when I was in school going on is still going on. Hmm. Well, it took a lot of courage um, to make a stand. In other words, to forward the notion of hey, let's let's get a petition. It's, this raises to an awareness where we can inform everyone that, hey, this is not acceptable. And then the Swagger Award, the call out for Swagger uh, Award nominees came out. So then, JL, you said it was, it was you were one of the principal reasons for writing up this, this uh, proposed policy for MCCSC. I mean, they had not yet accepted the policy, but you proposed them a policy to address this head on. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so, um, I wrote up a policy um, and gave and uh, like gained perspective from Sabra, Sydney, and Savine, um, just seeing like what I could add onto the policy. And so um, I basically said, okay, this is what we're looking for. Um, and you know, here, here's the policy. And they didn't really accept it, but I think they looked over it and they incorporated, incorporated some of the uh, things um, that we had added or suggested. Um, do you have the policy that you can read? Right now? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I can um, I can pull that up. Is it, is it, and as you're pulling that up, 
Um, is this like uh, the Constitution type thing where it's like 50 pages or something? Like no, that? it's not. Um, it's not 50 pages. It's like the Bill of Rights, which is a little bit shorter <laughs> than that. Uh, did you get, did any of you receive any pushback from this or were they saying, yeah, I agree with you. We need to do something. Or did you have to convince them that something needed to be done? Yeah, Sydney, what, what was your, what's your reaction to that? When you say that, do you mean like pushback, like pushback from who? Like our peers or like? From any of your peers or any, any of the adults in the room, did they readily agree with you that yes, something needed to be done? Or did you have to convince them that yes, this is a problem? Um, I wouldn't say that I received in any like negative feedback, me personally, but, um, we definitely did have to like tell them, like, we shouldn't have to tell them like there's racism in the school. They should see it and then they should want to do something about it. But we had to push for that and we shouldn't have, we shouldn't be doing this. Like we shouldn't be 17 and 15 year olds, like pushing for for rights for our rights and we did and i'm thankful we did but we shouldn't have to do that and uh sabra any any observations yeah so my experience is a little bit different from jail and sydney just because i go to bloomington high school north so i wasn't a part of like black culture club but that i had observed a lot of racist incidents at my school students reenacting police brutality in front of our school using racial slurs, teachers saying racial slurs to students and it not being held accountable within the school. And when I saw this, it like, it made me upset, but it made me want to like have something change. And I had spoken with administration about it and to see like, is there anything that we can do within the policies? And they said, we don't have any policies that address this. Like, there's nothing we can do. Like, you're going to have to go to an upper level if you want something to be done because that's out of our control. And that just made me really frustrated because I felt that these administrators are in place to protect us and to ensure. And even if there wasn't a specific policy that said that, like, you can't be racist, like, I thought that there would be something that they could do to make sure that we felt safe. So, like, I had, like, independently worked on some things that I was hoping to see in a policy and some things that weren't addressed under the current policy. And when I was able to meet with JL and Sydney and Safan, we all kind of had like similar experiences across the schools. So it was really helpful to like collaborate with each other. And that I we all together decided that we wanted to go to a school board meeting because just talking to the administrators, they weren't doing anything. And it didn't seem like they see, saw like a need for urgency mm-hmm. about like the things that we were asking for. And after the first meeting, um, it still seemed that there was no urgency for what we were saying and there was a lack of communication. And so we returned to the school board meeting and spoke again. And that's when it became a board priority. And I think that it was just, it was a little frustrating for me to see that like, they didn't like want to do it out of like, just seeing like our experiences and hearing about what we've been through. They didn't want to do it they needed us and other people to like pressure them almost to see that this is a serious thing happening and affecting youth of color at the schools. Um, One follow-up question and then you go ahead, uh, please, uh, Clarence. With this policy, 
is it going to be just a piece of paper or is it going to have some teeth, some consequences in it? Because after what I'm hearing you say, not only students acting inappropriately, but some of the teachers being inappropriate too. So I would have, I would, I would have thought there would have been policies already in place against them with some teeth. Uh, so what is this paper going to do? What is this policy going to do? Yeah, I definitely think that's a question that everybody has at this point in time, because like our hopes for what we wanted in the policy and our like what we require from this policy to be effective. We let them be known. We've shared them with the administration. So we're just hoping that that will reflect in the policy that they decide to draft. And it's like, even though we've come up with ideas and gotten feedback from other students of what we think will be a good way to hold people accountable for their actions, that might not necessarily be what comes out in the final product of it. But I guess like we, we just have to wait and see on December what of next week if everything like they're listening to student voices and if that's reflected in the policy to hold teachers and students and everybody in the schools accountable okay uh you have thoroughly piqued our interest uh in hearing a little bit more about this policy so jail were you able to bring that up successfully yes i couldn't bring it up on my laptop but i do have it um on my phone so if my camera turns off that is why okay that's fine go ahead and uh share that with us okay so um, basically, it isn't a policy, but it's pitching for a policy. So it's more like an executive summary. So that's why it's very short. But um, yeah, this was inspired by Brittany L. Jones. She's a PhD cal- um, candidate in Colorado. And um, that's who I gained inspiration from. Mm-hmm. So this is the study overview. This policy describes the topics addressed in anti-racist schooling policies and outlines the shifts educational leaders are making to strengthen and clarify not only their policies, but also their stance on racism and equity. Policy makers must consider how they define racism, the objectives of the anti-racist policy, and how to make the policy actionable. After creating and revising anti-racist policies, policymakers must also consider the characteristics of the school community in which these documents will live. Following these steps can lead to policy changes that interrupt the status quo. As students and communities demand change, educational institutions must consider how they will respond and whether the response disrupts or facilitates systems of inequity. Districts and schools seeking to advance anti-racism and equity can attend to um, aforementioned components to create effective policy. However, they must also consider the deeply personal work that is required alongside anti-racist reform. Many of these policies ask students, staff to interrogate their own biases, positions of power and privilege. extent to which these types of personal reflections are encouraged in our contextualized policy implementation. Based on a study done with schools in California, the Stanford Center for Opportunity Policy and Education identified characteristics of school with a record of narrowing the impact of racism and inequity. The author stressed the need for equity-oriented school leaders to guide staff and high levels of trust among members of the school community. This report highlights the need to consider how school levels, features, and 
interactions matter for the implementation of racist or equity policy. Thus, in addition to focusing on the components of anti-racism and equities or policies, we must also consider the characteristics and dispositions associated with positive change and increased student performance at the school and district level. Students deserve affirming and safe school environments that celebrate them for who they are and provide robust opportunities to learn. Schools have a legal obligation to ensure that students are not denied opportunities, treated differently, discriminated against, or harassed because of their race, color, or national origin. Um, so this is our project objectives. Um, so this was um, presenting a resolution to the district that helps minimize racism and racial incidents, develop a system for reporting racial incidents, access and allocate funds for equity purposes, maintain student safety by addressing racial issues, create anti-racist equity-oriented reforms, um, hire staff with anti-racist equity mindsets, and then our recommendation was uh, providing clear and accurate definition of racism and microaggression for consumers of the policies, devising a plan for policy dissemination, um, appointing an anti-racist committee or point person, coupling equity anti-racist policy with other school or district-wide policies, partnering with external organization, students and administrators need to be accountable for racist actions, more um, main events, our focus on people of color and black indigenous and people of color peers, which just means like more representation and more resources for um, people of color in um, our schools, uh, in our school district in a whole, and then punishments for discrimination and racism against students and staff members. And then after I just get into all the methodology of it, but um, it's just a constitutional thing talking about like the laws that, um, we have as people of color and how racism has no place in our schools with staff, faculty, administration, and students. Well, well, well put. And the voice you just heard was J.L. Davis. Um, <laughs> joining her this evening are Sydney Crossley, Sabra Wagner, and not able to join us was Safan Franklin. Um, these four ladies are the 2022 Swagger Award recipients for the ninth through 12th grade category level. Also joining us is Mr. Isidore Jimmy Torrey, uh, who is one of the co-chairs for the, uh, for not the Swagger Award, but he's one of the co-chairs for the City of Bloomington's Commission on the Status of Children and Youth. Um, you are sharing with us uh, a response to a, a huge issue. Um, and Liz and I both were sort of taken aback, as we mentioned earlier, that we weren't aware that some of these things were going on in the school system here in Monroe County. Uh, a school system, Liz, that touts that it's a A plus uh, Monroe County School Corporation touts it's an A plus school community. Yeah. And uh, we have had representatives on before to talk about uh, perceived issues such as uh, profiling and just uh, uh, the tone and timber of, say, going to school in Monroe County. And, and, and they were shared initiatives that seemingly address some of this, but uh, I, my hat goes off to you ladies for seeing an issue. And again, channeling those energies into, let's bring it to the attention to, of the policymakers and let's share with them what our hopes and aspirations are to, to make uh, tangible change, uh, you know, just an impact on this situation. Um, 
and I got to go back to um, Mr. Tory, uh, Jimmy. If as you first found out about this, um, you did you help them craft this in a way that it was presentable as a submitted piece for consideration for the award, or was that solely on them to present what they had put together? Oh no, I, I mean I didn't have any impact on what they're doing or how the how it was uh, given to us. Uh, they were nominated by a community member who um, found interest and, you know, felt that they were Swagger Award. Um, I don't know if they're worthy, but, you know, appropriate oh. for the Swagger Award. So sure. I just saw the nomination, uh, the, com the committee or the commission um, chose them out of the um, list of other um, award winners. Um, mm -hmm. And we felt, you know, real strong about what, what uh, their cause is and just proud of them taking the stand and um, being bold enough to stand up for uh, the rights of not only themselves, but for their peers. And, you know, it sounds like future generations, like they want to change the schools. They want to change the policy in the school system so that everyone um, can be, can, you know, can be treated equally. Right. Well, uh, one one last follow before I turn it back over to Liz. I think Saber, you had mentioned that um, all right, the presentation's been made, the awards have been given, but you had hinted towards a decision being made next week concerning this proposed policy. I believe it was you, and if, if not, if not, I apologize. But what is the decision in particular that is pending concerning this policy? Yeah. So basically. I guess we our efforts like kick started like the policy discussion and like after the first school board meeting, um, we presented our executive summary to the superintendent and they made it a board priority to create an anti-racism policy. So they've been speaking with groups of students, teachers for feedback on this policy and they've put together a policy about for uh, regarding anti-racism that will be read at the board for the first time next Tuesday and so yeah so that's the pending decision is the policy being read to the board to be like reviewed and like for approval so that's like what we're waiting to see is like how they present it I guess and what the contents of it is and how they plan to like make sure that it's followed and make sure that it's implemented effectively Liz, this how long is this process to... oh go ahead no well this, i was going to say that liz this goes back to your to one of your initial questions is is this a policy that um has teeth or will it be shelved or yeah well will they take action yeah i feel like i don't know the process started in may so it's been yeah. it's been a while since then seven months so i would hope to see from the policy that they've been working on for seven months to be actionable and to be something that effectively creates change. So I think that's definitely everybody has a say on when they read it, if they think that it will be effective, but also like realistically, if it's being implemented in schools, will we see change? Will it be able to address the issues that we came to the board in the first place with? So I think that it's definitely something that needs to be looked at critically because this is something that took a lot of effort from everybody to be vulnerable and to share their experiences and to put in the work for what they would like to see to feel safe. So yeah, I'm definitely hopeful when to see this policy, 
but I'm also, I'm definitely going to look at it with a critical lens for if it will actually be able to help with the problems that have been happening in MCCSC. Well, you just answered a question I had. I was going to ask you what your gut tells you and if you are hopeful. So you just answered that for me. I would like to know about the other two girls, uh, Sydney and JL. Do you feel hopeful? What's your gut telling you about this policy? Um, I'm, I feel the same way um, Sabre does. I'm definitely hopeful that something will happen. I mean, we've worked on this since May and it's still not over yet. We have like, I think a month left in January. And then I'm, I'm still very hopeful, but it's like, it makes you wonder like what will happen mm-hmm. from this. I don't want this to come up nothing and all this hard work that all of us have put into this just goes to nothing. And there's still lots and lots of racism throughout the school and nothing's being done about it. But I'm definitely hopeful for the policy and what and the, and the plans for it in the school. Mm-hmm. And JL, are you hopeful? So, um, yes, I am hopeful, but a part of me also has my doubts. And um, this is just due to the history of like the school district in general. And like um, back in the 1930s, you know, there was still racism happening, not enough being talked about um, just within our school system here in Bloomington. And so it just makes me, it makes me hopeful that we're putting in action, but it also makes me um, doubtful because it's like, how is this going to play out? What language are they going to be using in the policy? Is there going to be any consequences um, in the policy? And so um, I hope that it does its job. But that's really all I can say until they have um, their meeting. Prior to this, and I'd like for each one of you to answer this question, because this just, (laughs) I'm just sitting here just in, in disbelief. Prior to this, and you mentioned the incidents and the racism that you had to put up with, and this is 2022, and I'm thinking the young people got it together. You know, I've been asked, you know, a a, a lot. I give a lot of talks and speeches about racism, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking the young people got it together. But from what you're saying, it's not happening. So do you feel that the racist students have been empowered before you've put this in? Do they feel a sense of power in what they've been doing and that it's okay? I'll, you know, since you're on deck, I'll let you go ahead, JL. Um, so yes, I definitely do believe that it's always been this power structure that um racist students and staff felt that they've had um this power and it's really just their underlying privilege but they've always kind of had this power institutionally in the school system and like i said the history behind bloomington south um before before bloomington south when it was bloomington high school mm-hmm. it really shows the power that they had um and are and still have today so yes my my answer would be yes okay thank you for that um and Sydney I yeah I would agree 
I think that there has been this power structure for racist students and staff. Um, and I think it's definitely comes from their privilege, their white privilege, because most of the racism happening in our schools is from white students and staff. Um, and nothing is done about it. And then they just feel like they can do it again and again and again, and nothing comes of it. So who's going to stop them? And hopefully by putting in this policy, there's consequences that will be taken for them and their racist acts. Yeah. Cybra? Yeah, I definitely, I agree with what both of you have said. I think that their actions and their mindset is just reaffirmed by like the culture within the schools and how everybody has gotten so used to nothing being done and nothing being said. And then also beyond that, just the policies and the practices that are neutral and they don't include race specific language. So if we're not even talking about race in it, how are they to be deemed racist under this system? How are they to be held accountable for saying racist things if we don't even acknowledge that racist things happen within the schools? And I think that at least just every time that something has happened within the schools, like the policies that are in place right now say nothing that can hold them accountable for that. It could be considered like bullying, but like they're never, nobody publicly acknowledges that like what they did is harmful to a whole group of people. And I think that just continues the pattern of it because if they're not being held accountable by their culture, the community around them or administration, like it's, they have no reason to change. Okay, one last follow-up before um, Clarence uh, takes over. Um, you think this is shaking the tree a little bit, or they shook? Do uh, are they getting it and go? Oh, we better uh, we better stop that. What do you think, Saber? Um, I think right like when this all first started like coming up, it definitely shook the dynamic. I guess people were a little worried a little nervous to be held accountable and uh -huh. I think right now we're kind of at like a calm before the storm seeing like what the what everything will like what the reaction will be of everything what the outcome of everything will be so uh -huh. I think right now like it definitely caused a lot of disruption at the beginning but right now we're just waiting till the final to see what the actual impact and if these people are going to end up being held accountable in the long run. Okay. All right. JL, what do you think? Um, I definitely think in the beginning, it really shook the fence because it's something that hasn't really been heard of in um, Bloomington or in Indiana in general, because it is like a majority white state. So I definitely think it shook the fence and it made people a little nervous but what, what it really comes down to is um, the board's final decision and what they decide to add or um, disclose to the public. So, yes, I definitely shook the fence, but um, say, what Sabre said was right. Like, it's a calming before the storm. Okay. And Sydney, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I would definitely agree with both of them. It definitely made people think, and there was definitely a reaction out of it. And I guess we'll see like what the board plans on doing from this and what the future will look like in MCCS schools. Okay, thank you. Clarence? Um, as you all were talking, I, I recall 
back when I was in high school and I came from a majority uh, black city in Gary and uh, there were expectations at, at I'd say Gary Roosevelt where I went to high school that uh, those expectations were set from day one. Now, granted, we didn't have a lot of racial issues because we were 98% black, but there were other issues such as uh, bullying and other things that could have mm -hmm. gone on in the school, but our principal really set a tone or set of expectations. And I'm just curious, when you entered your respective schools, were there statements for student expectations shared with you? Or was there a student bill of rights, rights that you should enjoy as a student ah, that were shared with you? Yeah. And, and if so, then I'm, I'm curious if any of these expectations or these bill of rights address any of the, uh, the, the things that you're experiencing now. So I'm not sure who would like to maybe answer that. Uh, Sabra, Sabra, if you, you perhaps can just start it off with your uh, observations on that. Yeah. So as a senior this year, I entered high school back in 2019. And the handbook, we went through like the handbook of like what the expectations for the school were. And at the time, I didn't like necessarily see a problem with them not mentioning anything about race. But as like problems started popping up, that's when I think I noticed that it was allowing for these actions to not be held accountable and for consequences to not be given. And like until the school year, there wasn't a, a, even a handbook statement regarding like their commitment to like anti-racist behavior. And like even the handbook statement now, I don't think fully addresses like what needs to be said and what needs to be like held as a standard for coming into school. And like uh, after a bunch of things happened last year, I like extensively went through the handbook to see like, because my administrators kept saying like, oh, well, there's nothing we can do about this. Like there's nothing that they did wrong in the handbook, like underneath the rules. And I was like, that, that can't be possible. And I go through like the bullying thing. There's no mention of race. There's no mention of, if you say racial slurs, harassment, I go through the hazing, the harassment section, and there's nowhere in there about microaggressions, racial slurs, any sort of hate crime, anything. There's no specific language to uh, about that. So it just made it hard for me to feel like, I guess like we go through the handbook on like the first day, but like it doesn't seem like it's reaffirmed throughout the school year that like we are firmly against these this behavior and we have expectations for our students to follow, like to maintain a culture of like feeling safe and included, at least at my school. It just felt like it was kind of like we read through a handbook that was more about like academic and like, rules about like what you can wear to school and stuff like that. But there was nothing about like how students are expected to behave and how they're expected to respect their peers. Hmm. Um, JL, can you um, add your observation to that? Um, I definitely agree with what Sabre had said. Um, there's just a a lack of um, realizing that there is a minority here that experiences racism. And um, even in the handbooks, yes, they have like, like, a t like they have to put that like a tiny sliver of like, um, no one can be bullied or no one can be discriminated against based on their race, sex, national origin. But it never really goes into like the details or the consequences of those things. And time of time again, um, people have came to me uh, being vice president of Black Culture Club last year and this year and told me about how 
our administrators have said, we can't do anything about it. There's nothing um, that we can do about it. And even my own experience, I've told administrators and, you know, they'd be like, we're going to talk to that person and nothing would get done. Um, and so, yeah. And uh, Sydney. Yeah, so I would agree with both of them. In the beginning of um, each year at South, um, we go over the student handbook in like the first week and like bullying and what you're allowed to wear and academic stuff. Um, but then like, I never ever like noticed anything in the policy or like the handbook that would um, go over racism or bullying. And obviously that stuff happens at our school and students get away with it and it's brushed from under the rug and administration doesn't do anything about it. And that's when I noticed it was like such, such a big problem because when I first entered high school, I that's like the most racism I've ever seen out of my whole entire time at MCCSC. And I've been um, at MCCSC since kindergarten. And it's, I guess like racism was, and bullying was never like really addressed in the handbook. Mm. You know, I, I thank you all for that. And for those that just tuned in to our uh, show this after, to the show this evening, uh, we're talking to the ninth and 12th grade category award recipients of the Swagger Awards. And Swagger, uh, once again, stands for Students Who Act Generously, Grow, and Earn Respect Awards. Uh, with us this evening, we have Sydney Crossley, Sabra Wagner, J.L. Davis, and um, we were hoping to have with us Sapon Franklin. She was unable to join us this evening, but we also do have the co-chair of the Bloomington Commission on the Status of Children and Youth, Mr. Isidore um, uh, Jimmy Torrey. Um, and, and we're just listening to, Liz, you have to agree with me, to youth who have shed the, the mantle of youth and are really acting as uh, adult. And they almost appear to be the only adults in the room. And it goes back to, to an account you shared where you even heard uh, teachers or those in authority in the classroom using some racial slurs and, and and my question one is was that reported to the appropriate individuals and then second was there any follow-up either that you saw or that was reported back to you that they took appropriate action that, that concerns me I mean I can understand not giving a pass to anybody but I could see students being immature and irresponsible at times because hey I was once like that and I know you know, something about you go to bed one night, you, you wake up, you're irresponsible. I don't know what it is. But but for someone who's an adult in authority to use that type of language, insightful, incendiary type remarks, I'm just curious, was there any corrective measure taken? Now, I'm, it, and this might be personnel matters that are not necessarily able to be discussed publicly, but from, from your vantage point, was anything done to correct that situation? And uh, and, I, and again, if you all three can just share, and even Mr. Uh, Tori, after they've shared, I'd like to get your opinion on this too. So let's go back to Saber. Saber, any thoughts on what I just asked? Yeah, I, yeah, I definitely understand it's like a personnel issue. So like we wouldn't directly know like specifically what each action they did, but I don't know, at least <laughs> from what I've seen, um, the incident that happened at Bloomington High School North was something that was very, public it was the entire staff witnessed this teacher 
saying the n-word hard r four times and it just was really startling to me because i thought oh if everybody witnessed this there would be something done rapidly like the teacher would not be there the next day and when i came to school the next day she was there and she got in an argument with me and some other black students at my school about how she didn't see anything wrong with what she had said and that she does, doesn't understand why she needs to apologize and I was just like really taken aback that she was still at the school building. And I, and I was like talking to our administration. I was like, I understand that like, maybe you can't like immediately fire them or whatever, but if there's somebody in the school that has said racial slurs to a group of black students and everybody knows about it, why is she still here causing harm and causing a racially hostile environment? And they said it was a process. It had teacher union, blah, blah, blah. She remained in the school for the next week. And then she was on leave, paid leave, for a week and then she resumed the rest of the school year and then retired at the end of the year last year and I I just felt very much not like closure because I'm having to see this teacher every single day who said these things and we all know that she said these things and then there's nothing being done and she's just allowed to retire at the end of the school year and it just felt very weird because like everybody knew about it like all of the staff knew about it majority of the students knew about it as well so it's just like I don't know if there was no other way they could have handled it, but it just seemed like that was not the right way to address the situation. And, oh and Finney? Yeah, so I've had incidents with racism directly at our school. Um, around this time last year, my freshman year, I was in a class and a teacher was having a conversation with the Black student and she said the n-word and then everybody all the students in the room heard it and we told her not to say that that she couldn't say that 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 was wrong for her to say that word and she didn't like she tried to like brush off the situation and ask us about other things in the classroom and she didn't even like it's like she didn't even recognize what she did wrong it's like she just went about her day and that teacher's still there at South. She still says racist things, although I'm not her student anymore. She still gets by with a lot of racism and it's not just her, it's, it, you see it with like students and students say racist things and then nothing ever gets done about it or they're just like, they're brought into the principal's office, have a talk and then they go right back to class doing and saying racist things. Wow. In jail. Um, so I'm gonna try to minimize what I have to say about this. But um, although I haven't directly experienced um this happening in front of my own eyes, I've heard about it and uh I was um the incident that Cindy's talking about, I was walking literally past the classroom and I didn't know who said it, but it was um it was a ladylike voice and uh I just continued on with my day, but um, after there was a lot of uproar about a teacher saying the N-word, and some people are like, that's totally not okay, that's not right, and there's other people like, oh, I don't believe she said it. Then she came back, she apologized um, to like one person and was like, I was just in shock that I said the N-word. So that, so that means it's part of her vocabulary now, um, and um, it was just very shocking to me because number one nothing was done about it 
Um, and I know this because I've talked with uh, seniors who have graduated like two to three years. They've experienced the same problem with the same exact teacher. So that's how I know nothing has been done about it. No consequences have been taken. And it's really um, the administrator's fault for not taking these consequences because there's, all much, there's only so much we can do as a student body to combat this. But then also um, an incident had happened where a student had to be inward in a classroom and I was there and they got sent down to the office because the teacher was like, you can't say that, go to the office. He came back and he repeated word for word that the administrator said that he has a freedom of speech, continued to say the N-word. Um, this is the administrator saying the N-word, by the way, saying you can say the N-word. There's no problem saying the N-word. You have a freedom of speech, so I don't see the problem. And he got sent back to class. Now, I'm not going to say the name, but this is the same teacher, the same administrator that stormed the Capitol building um, in January. And nothing was done about it. Nothing was done. Mm-mm-mm. All right. Uh, we had uh, also <laughs> left some room for Mr. Tory. I, 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 I want to I want to pursue some of this, but I want to give Mr. Tory a chance to also oh. comment. Um, now, Mr. Tory, and I understand you're a co-chair of the Bloomington Commission on the status of children and youth. Now, the remarks we're hearing tonight sheds light on the fact that there's work to be done. Mm -hmm. And in your capacity, and you mentioned earlier that you were working with the NAACP on some things. Liz, Liz still is trying to process what we just shared. Yeah, I'm trying to calm myself down. I'm <laughs> Mr. Just... <laughs> Mr. Tory, if you can help us out here. Uh, from your vantage point, what has been done and, or, and what needs to also be done? Uh, um, let's see. I, you know, I think that um, the stuff that the young ladies have taken is the start of what needs to be done. Um, the conversations they've had with administration, the policies that they are trying to get enacted within the school system, um, that's what needs to be done. Um, that's the start of what needs to be done. And then once, you know, I think it's what next week you say next Tuesday, um, when, if and when I'm hopeful that this will pass, um, it needs to be enacted on. and people need to be held accountable um, and not get passes or even, let me say, even get rewarded for saying the N-word or for, you know, harassing um, other students, students of color. Um, because just the stories that we just heard, it doesn't even sound like anything was really done. They were more, um, like I said, they were maybe a slap on the hand, maybe, but I would even say rewarded for not getting reprimanded, um, for not having anything done to them, uh, anything taken against any actions taken against them. I feel that those uh, all sound like, um, you know, everything's okay and hunky dory. And it obviously, by the examples we just heard, obviously isn't. And if nothing's done, it won't be. So I really think that um, once the, the, uh, the, I'm sorry, the, uh, I'm sorry, I can't think of the word right now, but the, the, not that bill, but what, what you're getting done, what you're trying to do gets passed and the eyes are open and it's, and it looks like the eyes are already open, but people are passing are just, you know, turning around, not paying attention to it. I think people need to 
or the administration needs to pay attention. And I think that things need to be done to um, help end this. And even if it still gets passed, put it back in their face and say, this is still being done, just like you're doing now. Um, this is being done and we want change. And um, continue to, as uh, I think you said earlier, shake the fence or shake the tree, you know, until it's, you know, it's over, you know, and it, and it may not ever completely be over, but that just means that not only uh, this generation or, or those listening to this call, this uh, radio uh, show tonight, um, need to all take a stand and say, this isn't right, not in my school, not in my community. And I think that is what needs to be done. Um, the stand needs to be taken, which it has been already, but more people need to stand up to help out our, our students because you all are, are tomorrow. You're my tomorrow. And, you know, I just, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm still kind of without words because of the last story, but um, yeah, I just, I think this is the good, a good start. The seeds are being planted. And I think that we just need to continue to encourage as adults, encourage um, the, the, the youth to take the stand and point out what's not right and point out what you're going through and, and just let us know um, so that we can continue to support and continue to help you fight and take that stand against it. Jimmy, I, I agree with everything that you said. And I want to add something. And I hope that our listening audience takes to heart what you said. This is our community. And these kids are not only tomorrow, but they're here today. And we're here today. And this kind of thing that's been going on with these girls makes me angry. I mean, I'm angry. And you ought to be angry too. You know, I, I, um, boy, this has been a lightning this past hour. We're down to about a couple of minutes. Um, but I, I will say this, uh, you, you definitely uncovered some things for future shows or future explorations here on Bring It On especially a teacher who was either documented or um, the document taking part in the January 6th uh, uh, near assault on our government and is still in his administrative post here in the Monroe County School Corporation. Now, you know, freedom of speech, people can attend. I understand, you know, but then to put into action some of the behavioral thoughts that have landed some people in jail over the past few months is, is interesting. And, and that's a whole totally different story. The other thing that uh, I will say is that I was pleased to hear that uh, uh, in the city of Bloomington, there is a, I know at least for one individual, a J.L. Davis Day in Bloomington. And was this uh, designation shared with the rest of the ladies on this uh, interview? Did you all get your, so Sabre Wagner Day, a Sydney Crossley Day, and a Safan uh, Franklin Day in the city of Bloomington. Now, you get free parking somewhere with this designation, or do you get free coffee from Starbucks or, 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 or you get to tell your children that, uh, Hey, your mother, uh, was a catalyst for change in the city of Bloomington. She received this swagger war. So that's why she walks with this distinctive swagger, but she also has a day in her honor. 
And uh, again, and that's a tribute to the courage that you've shown and um, being proactive and getting ahead of situations. And you mentioned since May, and I'm surprised it's, this discussion has been going on since May, Sabra Wagner and to Safan Franklin, uh, we wish you could have been able to join us. I know things happen. And of course, Mr. Isidore James, Jimmy Torrey, who's co-chair of the City of Bloomington Commission on the Status of Children and Youth for joining us this evening to discuss not only this prestigious hour, but a lot of other eye-opening um, facts that are going on. I'm trying to search for words here. Yeah. And then too, to hear, we did not get to your future ambitions, but we'll have to have you back to talk about what you want to do in the future, uh, you yeah. ladies. And I just see a, a golden future for all of you. Uh, thank yeah. you for representing your community so well. Yeah. Thank you so much to each one of you. I personally want to tell you that I'm very proud of each one of you. And once we click off, I've, I've got a couple of questions for you. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. Bringing On's executive producer is yours truly, Clarence Boone. Our assistant producer is Liz Mitchell. Show consultant and WFHB News Department director is Kate Young. Program engineer is Sean Paul LaFontant, and original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam, with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Clarence Boone. And I'm Liz Mitchell. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On, right here on your community radio station, W. FHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.